Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Table Church Podcast. We're tired today, aren't we, Megan? We are pretty tired. We had kind of like a a weird, like, flip-floppy Benjamin Button sleep experience last night. So I was up late. And, and I got up early. You were up early. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know why you got up so early. You said you got up at what time? I have been up since 2 a.m. So what's up with that? Just couldn't sleep? Okay, here's what happened. Yesterday, Patience, my daughter Patience, not the routine. How old is Patience? 16, 15? She's 16. Okay. And a half. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, Patience made these vegan Thin Mint cookies. Mm. Like they're exactly like Thin Mints, but they're vegan. So cool. Lily can eat them. Yeah. Lily, who is vegan. So she made these cookies. They're exactly like Thin Mints. They're covered in chocolate. They're delicious, all minty and wonderful. She like leaves them out to cool and then forgets about them and goes and watches TV. Okay. Down in the basement. And I was upstairs getting stuff done. Uh, so no one was on the middle level of our house. Mm-hmm. Um, and somewhere between the time of 9 p.m. and 9.20. Does, does Dallas enter the story <laughs> in a moment? Yes. Okay. I could see it coming. Somewhere between 9 p.m. and 9.20, Dallas and Pearl realized. Those are your that, Springer no, Spaniels. Those are my Springer Spaniels. I medicate with Springer Spaniels. <laughs> so at some point in that 20-minute time span, they realized that they had a precious sacred window mm-hmm. with which to eat all of those cookies and they ate an entire batch of chocolate covered cookies Mm. and they left the table completely undisturbed they didn't even chew up the parchment paper that they were on it was all just like they vanished like they raptured they just raptured these cookies (laughs) and when i Uh, realized they were gone i was like whoa no way there's no way they did that because like they didn't even disturb the table are you sure it wasn't hudson He's not even home. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I was like, no way. It can't be that. They must have put the cookies away. But then they weren't in the cookie jar. And then I asked the girls, did you guys put away the cookies? And they were like, no. And I was like, well, the cookies <laughs> are gone. And the dog's breath smelled like minty chocolate. Strangely good. <laughs> so, so what happened was we totaled up the ounces of chocolate in the recipe and the weight of the dogs and realize it's probably not fatal. Mm. But because I don't know if y'all know, but you cannot give chocolate to right. dogs. Bad idea. This is like as it's bad dog ownership as one. giving lightning bugs to a bearded dragon. Yeah, which it, well, it's not that bad, actually. No, it is. <laughs> dogs die. Well, the fact that your dogs are still alive suggests that yeah. it's not Well, I mean, bad. you have to have like 10 ounces per 20 pound dog okay. to risk death. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they weigh like way more than that. Lightning bugs are toxic to bearded dragons, <laughs> as I found out as a child. <laughs> so anyway, I, Patience was very upset about this. Like she felt terrible. She mm-hmm. felt very bad about forgetting about the cookies. So uh, I offered to just stay up with the dogs and monitor them mm-hmm. um, while she just went to bed because, you know, she's pretty wrecked about it. Mm. So I did that. Um, so I slept with the dogs on the couch downstairs and then at like 2 a.m., it was clear that they were fine. Okay. Um, and then I just like, you know, was like, oh, I'm up, I guess. Okay. <laughs> I 
getting you back to sleep. Nice. That's it. Yeah. Well, good story. Mm-hmm. I was up late because I went to Black Widow last night with some friends. Natalie and I did. So my story is not quite as interesting. I mean, it's kind of interesting. I don't know. I, I saw it last weekend. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So my thoughts were a decent but kind of middle of the road Marvel movie. Like it's got all the. It has all the check boxes. Yeah. It, it's got of like the. like a uh, Thor movie. It's got the like the formula. Uh-huh. You know. Well, not well like Thor, not though, even, the last uh, Thor movie, like I thought, was unique. Uh, well, you know what I mean, though. Like the first one, it's kind of it's like a, got yeah, the same tone. Like Marvel has hit their stride in their movies now. Uh-huh. And, the tone um, of like the and it and it it hit that it hit that for sure. It was good. It was entertaining. Yeah, they also threw in an emo cover of "Smells, Smells like, like Teen Spirit." Spirit. <laughs> yeah, I I thought that was pretty sweet. <laughs> but um, yeah, I liked it, but it wasn't you know. I, I I don't know if maybe just <laughs> the Marvel Cinematic Universe is it's been going for a while now. Like maybe we've kind of turned a corner. You know, like after Endgame, what do you do? Right. Well, and I mean they're trying to like cover their bases because everyone was so upset with like the plot line for Black Widow, who's arguably like one of the best Avengers, like character wise. Um, she's got a complicated past. She's complicated, but and is also just like through and through throughout the movies, like arguably one of the like, you know, I mean, when you think about Hawkeye, who's mm-hmm. kind of like in the end, which one do you want to fall over the cliff? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, well, I would rather Jeremy Hawkeye. <laughs> I'd rather <laughs> Hawkeye do it. <laughs> but, but, you know, and she's like, you have a family and I can't give birth. Mm-hmm. So and my life is just trash so i'll just throw myself over like mm-hmm. that's just a terrible storyline for this woman mm-hmm. whose life has been so difficult it doesn't and then like when in the end that's tony what gave stark, it pathos though yeah but tony stark dies and everyone's like so upset about it mm-hmm. and her death gets kind of like glossed over yeah everything about it is just cheap mm. so, I don't know. You think so i think this movie was really there to like try to make up some ground mm-hmm. that they accidentally lost with all of that right but you can only do so much without affecting like the outcome of the rest of the movies sure and so i see what they're doing and all of that it was funny i listened to a guy on a pop culture podcast who (laughs) loved the movie a lot but he said black widow um was like the best birthday party you've ever been to but the birthday boy is dead (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> funny so anyway yeah. and it's true like the whole time you're just thinking well she dies you're gonna die yeah <laughs> like there's not yeah. really like a big you know like ah oh, this is awesome mm-hmm. you know the whole time you're like well i know how this ends yeah she ain't coming back no she's got to spoiler stay gone. alert she's dead a lot of other people still, left and then came back but she's dead. not coming back she's still dead yep dead well, maybe she will I guess it's it's not impossible. It's not over yet, right? Who knows? <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's true. Like they glossed over her death in a way that they didn't with Tony Stark. Yeah. And, um, but I mean, he's Iron Man. <laughs> he's well, the foundation of Marvel. Like, there's like, you know, there's Kobe Bryant, and then there's the WNBA. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much what this is. I probably should have said LeBron James. Kobe Bryant's kind of a there's different blue opinions comparison. about there. <laughs> there's different opinions. Um, yeah, so 
the, and now they're coming out with movies of really obscure kind of Marvel people that nobody knows about. Yeah. Like the Eternals. <laughs> what are those? I don't know. I don't either. We'll see. Let's uh let's let's dive into our topic. Megan, what are we talking about today on the podcast? Oof. So okay, I will say this is for uh so our next ask a pastor topic is one that we get asked a lot. But then on top of it, at Alpha on Sunday night, I feel like we covered like the full prismatic spectrum of every kind of question someone could ask about this topic. And so it felt like mm-hmm. we'd already been planning to do this and then it just felt uh, timely. Is prescient the right word? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was prescient. <laughs> so uh, we're going to be talking about theodicy and providence today so essentially the big question for the day is why would god allow suffering that's why would a good god allow suffering yes so that is what we're going to be we're going to solve it today we're not going to solve anything we're going to solve it in the perfect most satisfactory way we're going to explain it similarly to how we talked about hell we're not going to tell you exactly what's going on we're just going to give you some ideas for how you might think about it <laughs> mostly because we don't know what's going on no we have um we have a view for sure uh-huh. uh, but we also oh, think it's important through. it's important to um to kind of illustrate some of the broad ways that people thought about it in history mm-hmm. because there's been this has been a i don't know maybe the perennial question theological question right mm-hmm. yeah yeah so I mean, in, in in many ways, it is the Bible is the answer to this question. Like mm-hmm. it's seeking the answer to this question, right? The story of redemption from sin, evil, suffering, all that. So yes. All right. So take us away, Megan. What? Uh, Megan, by the way, has done a lot of research to prepare for today. Jotted down a lot of really helpful notes. So we'll see how far we get through all of them. Yeah, you know, I think like just to start off. Um, before we get started with this, I love this. So Arthur Cohen was a Jewish theologian, mm-hmm. but he's couched in the time of uh, the Holocaust. So he, I think he passed away in like the 80s. And so he was kind of writing a lot right in that phase of time where we were really trying to figure out what in the world was happening with that um, in faith. So uh, anyway, I love what he says about evil. He says radical evil interrupts our theological thinking and speaking about God causes us to question his providence, those types of things. So I just love the way that he phrased that, that it, it has this like radical evil has this interruption to like any theology that you start to articulate. Mm-hmm. So if you start to talk about God and you affirm all of these true good things about him, you will inevitably at a, arrive at a point where you're you're saying, but wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? it kind of shocks us awake. So you can talk about Jesus and everything you said about peacemaking and things like that. But then for our modern eyes and ears, we're looking at the Old Testament and being like, but mm. wait, you know, those types of things. So like these questions come into play anytime you're talking about how good God is inevitably there are things in the world or even things in scripture that we don't understand and we will say well wait if god is good then why would that happen yeah (laughs) so so it's important yeah and i think that leads us to a good point that um shielding ourselves from suffering will inevitably lead us to perhaps a theological lethargy you know Mm -hmm. like our 
our thinking about God won't be as sharp as it should be because I think any, any decent, you know, theology, any serious follower of Jesus needs to wrestle with the existence of suffering. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a robust integration of like the theology of evil and suffering and sin in all of the things that you are learning, processing, living about Jesus, then you will inevitably accidentally not fully be following Jesus. <laughs> and so, you know, like if everything about faith for you and everything that you pursue in your faith and everything that you put into your mind and uh, that you give to your family, if all of it has to be positive and encouraging, then it's not a robust understanding of God. So it's it interesting eventually that you just falls quoted, apart. What is it? Caleb's, <laughs> Caleb's motto, positive and encouraging. I said it and then I was like, well, I should back off. Well, there's, there's a sense in which you could say like, like if you're, if your Christianity is simply Christian radio Christianity, then maybe you're not wrestling with just the, the difficult things in the world mm -hmm. enough. And I think any, um, yeah, alive, uh, and you know, vibrant, vi yeah, vibrant, useful, tactile, theology yeah. is going to wrestle with these things. And mm -hmm. so, um, well, I'm not like opposed to Christian radio by the way, but I mean, let's be honest, I mean, it, it, it gives you one vibe. You one can flavor. think about Christian radio in that Christian radio can do a job that Christian radio can do, but it can't do everything. Mm -hmm. And so in the same way that Full House can have an episode about DJ being anorexic for two days, and then she talks to Aunt Becky, mm. uh, you know, about rest in peace, Lori Laughlin. <laughs> She's not dead. She's just in trouble. Oh, really? Um, you don't know about the college admission scandal? Oh, I know about that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I thought you meant she was dying. Was, no, she's not. Because you said rest in peace. It's just like you, yeah. Oh, so many things about my childhood. Okay. Uh, so, you know, she can talk to Aunt Becky about, you know, just eating healthy and loving herself and then mm -hmm. feel better and go eat dinner with the family and it's all resolved. Mm -hmm. You could be like, well, that's so trite, but it's like, it's a 20 minute episode that's trying to just cover an important topic but it, it can't it is. can't possibly yeah. you know give you like a five-year span to yeah. talk about this thing so in the same way that's what christian radio is i mean it's just like little blurbs into your day <laughs> and anyway yeah um yeah so we're not trashing on it okay yeah. okay yeah that's that's a good good point <laughs> um but what what we were trying to say about uh, the, uh theodicy is that it's, it's a necessary part of following Jesus. Like you have to mm -hmm. wrestle with this stuff. And so that's what we want to do in this podcast today. Uh, I see you've got here like the three mm -hmm. planes of evil. Um, and you're saying that theologians have kind of grouped evil into three categories. Yes. So take us through those three categories. Okay. So first of all, I'm going to give a really quick definition of what theodicy is because we've said it like three times and maybe you've never heard that before. So theodicy is the work to understand the goodness, providence, and wisdom of God in the face of horrendous evil, especially the suffering of the innocent, because it rubs against our ingrained sense of justice or retribution. So it's that moment where you go, wait, how could this possibly happen? If God is good, why does he allow bad things happen to happen to us? If he's sovereign, then how can things happen that are out of his will? You know, those right. dicey questions. It's trying to answer the question, how can evil and a good God both exist? Mm-hmm. Because mm -hmm. those seem like two mutually contradicting things. Yes. And then we're going to talk about providence today. 
and providence it's related to theodicy but they're not the same thing so providence is the doctrine that god unceasingly cares for the world that all things are in his hands and that god is leading the world to its appointed goal Mm -hmm. which is to get back to the way he made it in the first place right so that's what that is um so we're talking about theodicy like why does a good god let bad things happen and providence god is sovereign but then if bad things happen is he still sovereign is he still sovereign and if he is did he make it happen and then is he good it's a circle it's a ring. All right. So the okay. three planes of evil. Where are they? Because you're you're in a oh, oh oh here we go here we are here we go. See you like jumped way forward. No, you just talked about Arthur Co- Arthur Cohen's right well, below. Well, I mean, like I thought about Arthur okay. Cohen earlier. You know, whatever. Jumping, okay. I'm jumping forward in your notes. So Sorry. We're gonna, it's fine. All right. So theologians they'll talk about evil, and essentially there's three planes that you'll you'll see it displayed. So there's natural evil and i don't know i don't remember this was like last summer but we did an episode where we just established like what evil is mm-hmm. i believe it was in the spiritual warfare series like practicing victory mm-hmm. as i believe the name of the series right. yeah. and in the first episode of that practicing victory series we just talked about like what is evil what's the difference between sin and evil mm-hmm. go back and find that i'll you know probably link to it in the show notes it's a good episode so anyway we talked a lot about this um back then so anyway Evil is just anything that's happening in the world that is not God's will for creation. So it can be anything, Mm -hmm. anything that he didn't intend. Um, And so that includes sin, but it also includes natural evils like derechos and your dog eating your slippers. (laughs) Or your... Thin your thin mints yeah the dog eating his slippers is just the thing your professors always say they're like there's evil like bad things happening or dogs eating your thin mints right. okay um okay and then there's individual and corporate sin so that's when either an individual sins regardless of whether or not they understand that they're sinning there's a level of sin that way and then also corporate evil where like a group of people are sinning in some way corporately yeah and then there's the evil of dark powers and principalities. So that's Satan and demons and dark spirits, all that stuff. So there's these three different planes where you can experience evil in the world. And evil simply is just anything that's a, you know, distortion, corruption. Let's, let's sum them up. Natural well. evil. That's nature. Derechos. Derechos. Tornadoes. <laughs> earthquakes. Tsunamis. Yes. Uh, individual and corporate sin, which I would just say like human beings. Let's just mm-hmm. call it the evil that human beings do. Yes. So natural evil, human being evil and spiritual evil Mm -hmm. okay yeah those are the three planes of evil that are causes of evil and suffering in the world Mm -hmm. they kind so it's not like evil doesn't all come from one place Mm -hmm. yeah and and the there's i think kind of a uniqueness to the natural evil um like we we have an easier time explaining away the stuff that people do well People mm-hmm. are jerks, you know. People are just born sinful. They're horrible people. And they do horrible and stuff things. Stuff like that. Yeah. And, 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 and there's a freedom. You know, we have free will. Mm-hmm. God doesn't, you know, he gives us free will. It doesn't force us to do things. It doesn't force us to choose. And like we have all those lines that we can say. But like what about when a tsunami kills a quarter of a million people? Mm-hmm. Like there's nobody that did that. It just happened, right? Yeah. And so I, in my view, natural evil presents a particular problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you look back to the biblical foundation of evil, so like in Genesis 3, when we see the fall happen, um, so evil existing in the world in like a realized form is just the natural result of anything that's uh, 
anything that is being not like God is then an evil. And it all mm-hmm. starts with the fall. And so it was sin that brought this into a lived reality for human beings. But it then incorporates just creation is not in its perfect state mm-hmm. anymore. Nothing's perfect anymore but God. So um, there's this ancient alienation that has happened. Yes. Right. From God. And this is like one of the tenets of Christianity. Like mm-hmm. and that really is, that's the phrase I like, ancient alienation. <laughs> like somehow creation has gotten messed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like when you see something horrible happen in the world, like, um, you know, a fire that burns your house down or something like that, it's not necessarily anybody's fault, but it happens and it's horrible and you feel like a strong sense that it's wrong. Mm-hmm. That's because it is wrong. Mm-hmm. Like you're not supposed to experience your home being burned yeah. down. So um, that's why you feel like it's so wrong. So, all right. So can you give us some, um, give us like, I don't know, what are, what, what are some of the broad ways that theologians have dealt with the problem of evil? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. These are very broad, by the way, very broad. But, um, okay. So first of all, I think the best place to start, I think, I think to a degree, we can all accept that in a broken world after the fall, bad things happen. They can just happen. Mm -hmm. But when we're talking about people, that's where I think the most horrible stuff starts to happen, you know, because it's in relationship. It's the stuff that hurts us the most because it's in relationships that we get our greatest wounds, all of those things. So it's calculated. Yes, exactly. Um, And it's the things that we see that we have done that we regret the most and don't understand. So, um, Dallas Willard would always define love as the will to good and God is love mm-hmm. and he only wills good. So God takes evil and sin so seriously because they're not good and he made everything to operate at its fullest capacity when it's fully good. So in other words, when it's exactly as he made it to be and God is taking things back to the way that they should be. So when we look back at, um, like Genesis one, when God makes people in his image, you know, God honors us and, and sees us in our fullest potential. You know, he's got this standard for us because it is the best possible way that we can exist. The best way that we can live our life is to be fully whole. And when we're not, he doesn't accept that as good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And he wants to move us that way. And so, um, When you think about it that way, everything that we say about sin, everything that we say about what God is doing with us and to restore us back, it all kind of, it, it all comes back to what happens in Genesis in the first three chapters when God is making the world and making people and then something falls apart. Um, so if God is good and a good God is sovereign and in control, Why does evil happen and does he cause it? So we're going to just establish a few things and then kind of like backtrack and go back to it. Okay. So, um, first thing we're going to establish God is good and can't do anything that isn't good. So God can't lose his sovereignty, but he can choose how he operates within it, which sounds kind of simple, but it's really yeah. Blown I mean, some th- people's well, minds. That, 
you <laughs> over know, time. That is going to take some explaining because, it, you know, you say God is good, mm-hmm. can't do anything that's not good. I mean, say that and to somebody yet, who is yeah. suffering, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how can we like work out that not that God is good and we can establish that that's just yeah. always true and he can't do anything that isn't good. So we've, we've firmly established the yeah. question, I'd say, mm-hmm. what are yeah. some answers? Like what, give us some of the, give us some of the broad responses to the okay. problem of evil that we see. So, um, Daniel Migliore, he's at Princeton, uh, he will put these three categories together and Phil, I think you have a fourth. Is that right? I might have a couple. You might have I might have some addendums. Okay. So these are just like really general, but these are like very general ways of looking at how Christians have worked this question out in the past. Uh, So the first one, um, you've maybe heard some of these. So these are just classics. So the first one is God is incomprehensible, meaning we have no idea what the heck is going on, but we'll just have to endure that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's pretty much it. So we can ask why, but we're probably not going to receive an answer. God is just somebody we cannot understand. God works in mysterious His ways. His ways are higher than our if ways. If you've ever heard those things, and this is kind yeah. of getting to mm-hmm. this, like you, you God can't understand has, God. God works in mysterious ways. Mm-hmm. That's not actually in the Bible. Right. But, you know, like that. there's that, like just an abandonment to saying I'm powerless to understand this at all. Mm-hmm. Just kind of an apathy that comes with that too sometimes. Um the second way that the church has classically looked at this is that adversity is evidence of divine punishment. So that would be like 9-11 is a result of people's sin. Yeah. The hating <laughs> earthquake was the result yes. of witchcraft. Yes, exactly. Stuff people actually said. So it's, the, it's another way of essentially seeking some comfort and still, I think, grasping for human control. So to say like, well, if this bad things happened, you know, who sinned this, this kid or his parents, those types of things, it's still grasping at some kind of control that's really more about us than about God. Well, we should, we should establish too, though, like both of these positions we've just mentioned, God is incomprehensible and that, Mm -hmm. you know, evil's a result of punishment. Like there's, there's (laughs) biblical support. Like you can go to these go to the places in scripture to find evidence and support for these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Of course, the Bible talks about how, I don't know if it says God's ways are higher than ours, but mm-hmm. it certainly talks about how unimaginable God is and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, mm-hmm. um, it, It's more about like when we see something bad happening and we isolate it to just one facet of this mm-hmm. and really kind of abandon ourselves to that where it starts to get difficult to really work things out because it takes more of a synthesis to understand it. It's just not something you can, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, dilute down and it's just one of these things. So anytime that you're kind of, um, anytime you eliminate any other poles of the tension and you just say, well, guys, God is just somebody we can't understand Yeah. or anytime, you know, so it's not that these things are bad or wrong. It's that there are these predominant ways that people have kind of, you know, um, broken this down, this problem down in the past. And then um, we're eventually going to arrive at a point where we say that a synthesis of all of these things mm-hmm. <laughs> gives a little bit better direction of how we might look at suffering. Sure. So, um, all right, and the third one. Yeah, so the third one is God uses suffering of any kind to turn us to him and to cultivate hope for eternity. So that's that like redemptive... Mm-hmm thing of saying like well if you're suffering god has a purpose in it yeah that yeah 
that argument. Yeah. So, and that's one that we would come to a lot, I think, is to say like, God doesn't necessarily cause your suffering, mm-hmm. but God can redeem your suffering. We say mm-hmm. that kind of thing all the time. And there's I think room it's in true. this third view for people who would say God does ultimately cause your suffering mm-hmm. and those who would say he doesn't, but it's the same, same way of working out the question. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So I would, uh, there's, um, there's a theologian named John Swinton. He's a practical theologian at the University of Aberdeen in Scotland. And, uh, I remember reading him, and and he makes a really strong argument. I remember um, that theodicy, like the project of theodicy itself, is evil. Like trying to provide an explanation, um, because what it does is it abstracts the discussion away from concrete sufferers. It just makes uh, it makes suffering into just kind of this intellectual plaything of theologians. Like what usefulness is right. this to someone? And so he, he goes so far as to say that like what we're doing right now is evil, he would say. Um, which obviously I, I I think there's like a, I don't know, a dualism in there somewhere where, uh, you know, thinking about problems is part of what we do and who we are. Mm-hmm. And we shouldn't necessarily separate ourselves from it. But I do think that his warning is worth hearing. Like, this can't just become a laboratory experiment, you know, like it can't ever just become something that we sit around and and banter about because it's kind of a fun mind puzzle. Mm -hmm. Um, Like it's, it's actually something that the, the, the true answer, the true theodicy is action, right? It's love. It's solving problems in the world. And I think that's a good point. Uh, Also, David Bentley Hart, he wrote um, a theodicy called the doors of the sea. It was in response to the, the tsunami, um, in the South Pacific, uh, I don't know, decade ago or something. 2004. Okay. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's, I think maybe the best thing I've ever read on the problem of evil. Um, it's short, but he basically says like for a Christian, evil is just, it's meaningless. You know, um, we, let me just read what he says if I can, if I can find it really fast. Um, think we know you're really looking because we can hear the pages <laughs> that's proof that i'm actually that's authentic it. okay so christian thought from the outset denies that in themselves suffering death and evil have any ultimate value or spiritual meaning at all it claims that they are cosmic contingencies ontological shadows intrinsically devoid of substance or purpose however much god may under the conditions of a fallen order make them the occasions for accomplishing his good ends and so he goes on to say, like, when I, when I stare into the face of a suffering child, I don't see the face, I, you know, I, or actually, I don't know if he says about suffering child. When I see evil, I don't see the face of God. I see the face of his enemy. Mm-hmm. And he also makes a big deal about how evil in itself is just, it's meaningless. It will be a thread of history that God judges and disposes of, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway, that's probably like a three B, like mm-hmm. you, you, you give, give us three, um, three ways that people have thought about this problem. That's probably like a th- an amendment to three somehow. Not that necessarily evil is um, primarily for some sort of redemptive purpose, mm-hmm. but actually it's just meaningless. Mm-hmm. Like there, God doesn't ascribe any sort of value to it, mm-hmm. he, w- he would say. And mm-hmm. so anyway, but at the same time, he says no matter how much God can, uh, you know, kind of sweep it up into his divine um, purposes for all of creation. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 
essentially like what we're working toward is this idea that a robust understanding of the person and the actions of God will include um, very brutal honesty about the horrific things in the world that are mm -hmm. happening right now and also the omnipresent love of God that is never threatened by any of those things yeah, and so, that they coexist. So yeah, let's, let's talk about some of the ways more specifically that Christians have addressed evil. Um, I, you know, there's, there's obviously the kind of deterministic, like God's, this is part of God's plan. Mm -hmm. I'm sure people have heard that when they're suffering. This is got part of God's plan. Um, God has somehow con dictated every event in history and um, is going to, in some way that we don't understand, this probably falls under the God is incomprehensible view. Mm -hmm. In some way that we don't understand is going to make things all make sense in the end. Mm -hmm. um, so David Bentley Hart in his book, he, he talks about, there was a tsunami in, in Europe, uh, you know, a few hundred years ago, and it wreaked a lot of destruction. And Voltaire um, actually wrote a poem. And it was an earthquake. It was an earthquake in the ocean that caused a yeah. tsunami. Yeah, but then like more happened, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. So anyway, and there's a fire, like all sorts of I just things. like my, my process brain needed to say, eh, there was an earthquake that then also caused fires and a tsunami. <laughs> well, all tsunamis are because of earthquakes. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? Okay. Like. <laughs> uh, and anyway, he wrote, he wrote this poem about it and essentially like if God holds, you know, the link to every chain, but himself is not chained, then why would he have caused it? You know? Uh, and, and he just paints all these pictures of like just the, um, you know, piles of bodies on the coastlines and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Really horrendous imagery. And he says, how can you believe in this God? Voltaire is, of course, not a mm -hmm. Christian. Um, this is the dawning of the enlightenment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How can, how can anyone believe in this God that would, if he truly holds the keys to it all, like he's, I think, yeah, I think the illustration is, a, is like a chain. Like he holds every link in the chain, but he himself is not chained. So mm -hmm. why does he do it? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, and that, that's a compelling, a compelling critique for sure that you hear often from, mm -hmm. you know, atheists, non-believers and stuff like that. And I get that for sure. Um, but David Millie Hart will go on to say like that, that God that they're describing is not the God of Christianity. Um, it's a deist God. It's a God who just sets things into motion and just kind of checks out, you know, mm -hmm. is a deterministic God. And he says the the truly uh, profound challenge to Christianity when it comes to the problem of evil happens in Dostoevsky's book, The Brothers Karamazov. Mm -hmm. um, when Ivan, brother Ivan, kind of levels this charge against God, and he again he lays out all these evils like soldiers who murder babies on their bayonets, parents who torture their daughter. Um, tells a story. And I think, and there, people think that these are all true. Like these actually happened in mm -hmm. Russia. You know, he's just like accounting real things that happened. Um, like a boy. A servant boy upsets his master, and so he gives the boy a head start before unleashing his hounds on the boy. You know, like how how can you? And, and Ivan would say, "Look, I believe maybe, yeah, maybe someday all wrongs will be made right. Those people will be judged, right? Mm -hmm. Fine." And 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 he he would say, "And I believe that perhaps, um, you know, the people that suffered will receive a reward, right? Fine." But he says, "I don't necessarily reject God. I reject salvation. Like mm -hmm. I just I'm not going to play by those rules, you know, mm -hmm. and." David Bentley Hart, and I think he makes a good point. Like that is the, that's the more deeply disturbing rendition of evil that he says, if, if the suffering of a single baby is 
um, required in order for, you know, salvation to occur, occur, then I don't, I don't, I'm not going to play that, that game, right? Like no suffering ever should, um, be enough or, uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's like, he basically says, if that's who God is, then I don't want him, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, David Bentley Hart, I think makes a good point. He just says, he's, he essentially points out the Christ, the Christian, uh, impulse latent within Ivan's character that like the rebellion that was initiated in Christ against the powers of evil, that spark is what is driving his, his flame, you know, his, that's what fuels him in mm-hmm. his rage against evil in the world. And it's true. Like as a Christian, we are kind of brought into this rebellion against evil and his disgust at evil in the world is in a sense a Christian impulse Mm -hmm. that he would only really have because of the light of the gospel that has shown in history. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, that was just a moving passage for me. And, and it's true. Like our, our abhorrence to evil today, I think largely comes because of the grace through the gospel that God has shown upon us to see how valuable and Mm -hmm. precious life truly is. Yeah. That anyone can see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whether they're a Christian or not. Yeah. But I mean, but but that, like that, a tendency, that impulse Mm -hmm. has only increased in the light of the gospel Mm -hmm. 2000 years ago. Like the fact that we find such a problem with the suffering of innocent children, right? Mm -hmm. Wasn't as much of an issue in ancient cultures Mm -hmm. and, and something has changed in our ethical consciousness to find a problem in that. Well, what is that? Mm -hmm. Well, so the atheist who comes and says, look, I can't believe in the God who would allow these things to happen. Mm -hmm. We say to them, you're more Christian than you realize. Mm -hmm. You're more influenced by the gospel than you realize. Like the victory of resurrection is more real to you than you, than you realize, Mm -hmm. you know, like the, the, the rebellion against evil. Um, where does that come from? You know, because not everyone has had it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. And it's that that reasonable train of thought that would say, well, like you're saying, you're going to have that repulsion to this idea of evil that comes from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, where it hits a stop point is that for the Christian, we marry this very reasonable logic about what is right and wrong in the world with an unreasonable love that doesn't have a definition that we can compare it to in Mm -hmm. anything that we're looking at in the world. And so that's where we hit like this, you know, we have this impasse (laughs) when, when we are only looking at the reason and not able to grasp the unreasonable love that we can't really understand. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if we if we can't engage with that love, then we just get trapped in that reason and it doesn't really necessarily move forward. So that's what he would say. Ivan, Ivan is doing. Yeah. Let me sum it up better. So that with, with David Bentley Hart's words here, summarizing what Ivan says, he says, for the love of man, I reject it. Even ultimate truth is not worth the tears of that one tortured child. In other words, even if all think wrongs can be made right someday. On principle, I, he says, I reject it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you then, don't have to call anything bad good just because of what will happen someday mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. And But then he'll go on to say, Ivan's rage against explanation arises from a Christian conscience. And so even if Ivan cannot acknowledge it, its inner mystery is an empty tomb. 
which has shattered the heart of nature and history alike as we understand them and fashion them anew. He goes on to say, Voltaire's poem is no great challenge to the Christian faith because it invades against the ethical deists god of cosmic balance. But Ivan's rebellion is something altogether different. Voltaire sees, sees only the terrible truth that the history of suffering and death is not morally intelligible. Dostoevsky sees, and this bespeaks both his moral genius and his irreducibly Christian view of reality, that it would be far more terrible if it were. So he's saying, like, Voltaire's saying, like, oh, so you, you see a reason for all the suffering and death. And Dostoevsky sees, no, that would be awful if, it, if, there, if there actually mm-hmm. was a reason for it. And he's trying to point out that there's not. Yeah. You know, like, God didn't cause it. God didn't bring it about. Mm-hmm. And that's a Christian impulse that fuels the hatred that Ivan, his character, has towards evil. Anyway. Yep. Yeah. So it's, a, like we said, sticky wicked, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's a complex it is. issue. Um. I think, uh, you know, where we get into trouble is when we want to take it too far in one direction or another. But if you can stay in the middle and and say, God didn't cause this. And yet, yes, let it be uncomfortable to you that he's sovereign mm-hmm. and yet it's happening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the God who can stop things doesn't always stop them. Um, because we want to claim that theology sometimes, you know, like God spared me from this. Mm you know, those types of things. Mm-hmm. This is just a question that never stops being sticky. Right. <laughs> so if you want to claim God gave me the wisdom to know not to do that. And mm. then I didn't go, you know, like I had a friend once who was driving home and had an impulse to stop and, um, like not, not leave quite right away. And then it turned out there was this huge car accident that if she had like kept driving, Mm. she would have been a a part of this huge, like chain reaction accident. And she was like, no, prove to me there's not a God. And I was like, well, I don't know. Look at all those people that were in the accident. How does that prove anything? But you know how we want to, we want to throw around theology that says God's protecting us from certain things. Mm -hmm. And yet also we're saying he doesn't always protect us from certain Mm -hmm. things. It's just incomprehensible but secure (laughs) yeah i mean we do think god protects us sometimes Mm -hmm. but not always right yeah and so it's not that either of those things is incorrect it's just that we have to sit with both they're just both true i mean evil creates a problem for any worldview you can take Mm -hmm. okay uh if you're a you know atheistic naturalist then basically evil well there's (laughs) there's no purpose you know what i mean there's no potential redemption of anything and um it all just kind of goes away right like there's no ultimate meaning you can't you don't have a lot to say to the the child dying of cancer well tough luck kid you know you drew the short end of the stick Mm -hmm. right i don't know i'm sure atheists would want to take issue with what i just said but i honestly i I, it's hard for me to find a whole lot more you know what i mean um there isn't any sort of redemptive view for that Mm mm-hmm um, an Eastern religion that kind of emphasizes detachment and stuff like that. Well, that also has the result of not being able to invest yourself in the good things of life either. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have like highly deterministic sort of faiths where God is the one who's calling, causing the evil. Well, that seems problematic as well. Mm-hmm. So it, no, it doesn't matter who you are or what you take. I mean, mm-hmm. you can you can just throw your hands up as, you know, kind of agnostically and say, well, we just don't know, right? Yeah. Uh, but that's still a problem because what do you say then? Mm-hmm. And where do you go when you are suffering? It doesn't give us any use. And so it doesn't matter who you are. Like evil is a problem for your worldview. And if Mm -hmm. it's not, you just haven't thought through your worldview yet. I happen to think though that Christianity provides the most coherent and hopeful 
answer to the question of evil. Um, you know, there might be other coherent answers, but they're certainly not hopeful. They cer- and, and we kind of rebel against this idea that really there must be more to it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And that really gets us to our last point. So at the very beginning of the story of God's people, when you're looking at Genesis, there's this first moment of sin, rebellion against God, uh, where Adam and Eve are told by the serpent, you know, that, uh, you know, God is keeping something from you. And if you eat this fruit, then you're going to be like God. You're going to know something that he Mm -hmm. hasn't let you know yet, the difference of good and evil. Um, And so, first of all, they are already like God. And to eat that fruit is then to become not like God, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to rebel, to disobey. And so as he's trapping them in this logic (laughs) that uh, this is how you get like God, it's actually the total opposite. To take that fruit and eat it is then to be unlike God. And Mm -hmm. that is evil. Mm -hmm. That's sin. Um, And so right there at the beginning of everything in Genesis 3, the fall happens, and immediately afterward, God illustrates what's going to happen in the end of the book. <laughs> right. So, so you've got Genesis three fifteen. God curses the snake, you know, and He says you're going to eat dirt and mm-hmm. all of that. Um, and then in verse fifteen, He's talking about Adam and Eve's descendants, who eventually there'll be a last Adam, that's Jesus, and He says He's going to crush your head and you will strike His heel. So, mm-hmm. in other words, the devil gets a bite, but Jesus gets the victory. Mm-hmm. And so at the very moment where the fall takes place, God is already declaring the end of the story. Mm-hmm. So when we think about like, what do we do with the problem of evil? We go back to the genesis of evil mm-hmm. and say, God immediately gives us an answer to where this is going. Yep. So we may not understand in the middle all of the intricate details, but we do know that God at the moment that the fall happens is already declaring ultimately what's going to happen in the end. Mm, so we do good. have that. Mm-hmm. That's unique to the Christian worldview. That is not something that anyone else shares. This idea that all of the problem of evil, everything that we carry in the world that is so incomprehensible and difficult, we don't have to understand any of it. We just have a guarantee about the answer to the problem and that it is already resolved. Yeah. So we're moving that direction. And um, I think it, so, so far we've, I think we've drawn out three, uh, is it three threads? Let me see if I can come up with them all. First of all, we've talked about how there's, there's been a, uh, an ancient alienation from God in, mm-hmm. in creation, right? Um, things are just not what they should be. Second of all, we talked about sinfulness of humanity as a source of evil. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you're, t- and you're saying that God has, God immediately sprang into action, right? He said that he's going to bring about, victory somehow like he's mm-hmm. going to solve this problem um that's that's in genesis right okay so we see god's cooking up a plan to address evil um but when we get to the gospels what we see is that god's plan was to dive headlong into evil himself mm-hmm. right like to mm-hmm. immerse himself in suffering mm-hmm. which we're really going to cover a ton next episode okay so yes. we don't want to go too far but into we can it. go into it a little bit right now mm-hmm. because this is really where we get to a uniquely Christian point of view right. on suffering. Yeah. So not only is God going to like vanquish evil someday in the remote future or whatever, you know, the abstract future, like we all understand that's going to happen is what God says in Genesis. But we also know that God 
immerses himself in suffering for our sake. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't reduce suffering in the moment necessarily, but it does something, mm-hmm. right? Like to know that God is with us in our suffering, to know that God himself is a sufferer is, like you said, uniquely Christian, I think. And it really, I think, is imp- an important part of our answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, so we will often dig to find the good in the midst of the bad, <laughs> like that mm-hmm. redemptive perspective that we just sort of intuitively want to find. Mm-hmm. And I think in our highest moments can often be reaching for what's the redemptive thing in this, you yeah. know, rather than just totally apathetically giving up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um, we're going to talk about this a lot more next time, but often we can try to find a good thing that justifies a bad thing. Or even hope that the good cancels out the bad somehow. Mm-hmm. Or like you'll think about like those articles that came out after they discovered all of those mass burial sites right. in Canada. Mm-hmm. And there were people saying, sure, this was horrible, but they heard the gospel and mm-hmm. some of them may have been saved mm. and none of them would have been saved mm-hmm. if this hadn't happened. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, and when you hear arguments like that, that's what this is that you know, uh, oh, that some might be saved, like Mm -hmm. that end at any cost, you know, that we aren't saying this was good, but isn't it ultimately better, infinitely more that they were saved. Mm -hmm. Um, and that just rings really hollow. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, it is, but it Um, is so common. mm -hmm. That's tough. So, uh, anyway, so we often want to try to find like this good thing that can justify a bad thing. Like our impulse in seeing these mass graves for some people is to immediately say, oh, but wait, Mm -hmm. redemption was there. You know, this good could come that couldn't have other ways. And so, um, we have that impulse to want to find a good thing that can justify a bad thing or hope that the good is going to cancel out the yeah, bad. The gospel that's <laughs> delivered in evil ways yeah. is not the gospel. Uh-huh. Like the, the method and the message have to match. Mm-hmm. And that's where many of the problems in the church come is when the method and the message don't match. Yeah, and it seems like Christians kind of get this icky thing in their head that like the ends <laughs> justifies the means or something yeah, like that. And exactly. I, I don't think that's how it works. But. Yeah, and then... Also, I mean, suffering and redemption are not a zero-sum game. They don't cancel each other out. They don't balance each other out. They're just distinct things. They mm-hmm. are distinctives. They are not They are not in any way correlated, kind of like what David Bentley Hart is saying, that mm-hmm. this is evil. It's just meaningless. It's yeah. terrible. Yeah. It has, this is not... Like, like stop, like, stop trying to rationalize <laughs> it so much. It's bad. Yeah. God's against it. Mm-hmm. He's going to vanquish it. Yeah. He came to defeat it. You know what I mean? Like, we don't have mm-hmm. to try to... Um, whitewash it mm-hmm. you know what i mean like in fact as a christian we're uniquely freed to perhaps more than others recognize the disgusting nature mm-hmm. of evil yeah. because we also understand the author of life you know yeah um, so like evil takes on uh, an even more disgusting shape for for christians because of the love that we have in christ so mm-hmm. anyway we like we experience we embody love that completely defies like any of the rules of evil Mm -hmm. and so for us it looks so distinctly different from what we understand to be reality um and and i think so often we just want to say well this bad thing happened find the good thing and then they somehow like it makes it worth it it's Mm. not about retribution it's not about justification it's not about balancing things out they are just distinctive one's very good and one's very bad and when we think about good and bad 
neither one of them is going to carry more weight than the other. Like I said, it's not a balance. It's not, oh, well, the good outweighs it. Like you said, the good doesn't outweigh the bad. The ends don't justify the means mm-hmm. every time. So well, Paul did say, but what does it matter whether from false motives are true, Christ is preached and because of this I rejoice. Uh-huh. <laughs> so maybe Paul is Thanks, saying Bill. that the ends justify the means. <laughs> Thanks no. for using scripture to make well, that all twisty right no I, I obviously I obviously these are two very different things i mean but we're context, not talking about murdering context children matters here. yeah context and, matters and he was he was saying that like <laughs> yeah we don't need to get into it it's not the same thing <laughs> but anyway but when we think about good and bad they don't one doesn't carry more weight than the other although many people's lived experiences that perhaps suffering carries much more weight than good in their life or good mm-hmm. seems to carry much more weight than bad um but they don't uh But the key difference is that one is temporary and one is eternal. Mm. So that is the distinctive of a Christian view of redemption. Not that what is good eventually outweighs the bad, but that it outlives it. Mm. That's good. So the death and pain that we live in now is very real. And everything physical and emotional matters deeply to God. Everything you're going through matters to God because you're in it right now. Mm-hmm. God is never saying, yeah, but someday it'll be over. He's mm-hmm. just in it with you, like we've pointed to. And we'll talk about that more next time. We never have to strain for how a good thing has made a bad thing worth it mm-hmm. somehow. Like they are just distinctively different. But we do ask the spirit to train our eyes to see evil like God sees it from the other side of victory. So God is moving everything to the side of victory. And some things will get victorious today. Some some things take longer. Someday everything will be there. Um, So it's just so critical that we remember that evil, terrible things are happening to us. And they are just bad. (laughs) And that... Very good things are happening to us, too. The evil stuff is temporary. The good things are eternal. So that's the difference. So God's response to evil, threefold. Number one, God vanquishes evil eternally. Mm-hmm. That's going to happen. Like you said, I like how you said it. The good's going to outlast the, the bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Number two, God does bring good and redemption from evil mm-hmm. when we submit our lives to him. Um and number three, God himself entered into suffering mm-hmm. and pain Yeah, on our behalf. Like if you picture, I think so often, like imagine you're in just like a horrible season of suffering and it's like a, it's like you're just like bobbing up and down in this ocean that keeps like pulling you under mm-hmm. and then back up again. And so you can, you can imagine people picture being in that like tossed around in this horrible sea of suffering god on the sand you know calling out to you loving you speaking truth over you promising you that he's there promising you this will all make sense someday promising you you know all of that that's how we see god you know on the on the on the on the shore looking out at us in that mess and saying it's all going to be made right when in fact imagine yourself just like up and down in these waves being tossed and turned nothing makes sense up is down down is up and there's Jesus just arms clamped around you weeping with you mm-hmm. up and down with you that's the christian god mm-hmm. that's how we see suffering that we are never alone in it 
but that God is suffering with us. Mm -hmm. That's the critical difference. That God isn't just reasoning out why the suffering is temporary or worth it somehow. He's just presently suffering with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Good word. And probably a word worth wrapping up with. Yes. I'd say. It is. Cool. <laughs> should, well, we say, should we say anything quick and fun before um, we wrap up this? <laughs> I don't have anything quick and fun right now. I could, I mean, I could end with, there's a really kind of lovely passage uh, at the end of this yes, book. Yes, do that. We just need to end on um, something. Okay. So here's what David Bentley Hart says. He says, until that final glory, however, the world remains divided between two kingdoms where light and darkness, life and death grow up together and await the harvest. In such a world, our portion is charity and our sustenance is faith. And so it will be until the end of days. As for comfort, when we seek it, I can imagine none greater than the happy knowledge that when I see the death of a child, I do not see the face of God, but the face of his enemy. Such faith might never seem credible to someone like Ivan Karamazov or still the disquiet of his conscience or give him peace in place of rebellion. But neither is it faith that his, is it a faith that his arguments can defeat for it is a faith that set us free from the, from optimism long ago and taught us hope instead. I love that differentiation between optimism and hope, by the mm -hmm. way, we're not optimists. We're hopeful. Um, now we are able to rejoice that we are saved, not through the imminent mechanisms of history and nature, but by grace that God will not unite all of history's many strands in one great synthesis, but will judge much of history false and damnable that he will not simply reveal the sublime logic of fallen nature, but will strike off the fetters in which creation languishes. And that rather than showing us how the tears of a small girl suffering in the dark were necessary for the building of the kingdom, he will instead raise her up and wipe away all tears from her eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, nor any more pain. For the former things will have passed away. And he that sits upon the throne will say, Behold, I make all things new. There you have it. Mm. Tune in next time, everybody. Have a good week.